0: We'll be continuing this morning in the first chapter of 1 John. So open there with me if you're able. We will be reading the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses. Last week, we looked at the first four verses and saw that John and the rest of the apostles were eyewitnesses to the life, the ministry, and the teachings of Jesus. And that understanding those was his purpose in proclaiming them to us, that we might understand and that we might have fellowship with him and his fellowship is with God. And now he's going to continue on in that idea of our fellowship with God and he starts off with one of the most famous definitions of God. Now if you ask people what is God, most people will say God is love. That's the end of the book. The beginning of the book, he starts off with the foundation to understand that love. God is light. And so let us read the chapter and think about that. I will be doing only verses 5, 6, and 7 today. We'll look at the rest when I return. So 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you to worship you, to glorify you, We pray that as we consider this message that your life, that you are light and that your glory is unapproachable in light, we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts to see the, to understand, to receive and to change our lives as we are transformed by the light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God is light. What does that mean to us? What does that mean to John? What is he trying to explain? Well, think about what we know about God and light in the scripture. In the very beginning, there was nothing. Darkness. And in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 and following, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day and the darkness night. And those evening and morning the first day. There was nothing in God created light that we might have it, that we might see, that we might have life. But light is used usually of the, the, the metaphor of good and evil, light and darkness. And light is also used in the form of the light of revelation, understanding, knowledge. In John chapter 1, the the gospel of John chapter 1, we've read before, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, People who say Jesus was made obviously haven't understood this verse. It says Jesus made everything, and nothing was made except what he made. But note verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Speaking of, of course, Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord, our God, is called the light and the light of men and the salvation of men through that light. Jesus says again in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's important to remember his relationships here between light and darkness as that's what's being drawn out by john in this chapter of 1 john in our portion today and this light is a glorious light we read it in the old testament we just sang it the city of god will have no need for the sun no need for the moon the glory of god will give it light revelation 21:23 and its lamp is the lamb it says christ will be the light that we see by we will not need the sun or the moon anymore and it is a light that brings hope isaiah 9 remember the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them a light has shone matthew 4 brings out that that prophecy in its fulfillment matthew 4:13 and following Jesus, leaving Nazareth, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the, of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to Preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that light was light of hope to the Gentiles to show them the knowledge of God, the knowledge of salvation, and the knowledge of sin that they might turn from it to holiness. And that is who Jesus is, the light of salvation. Jesus says that again in John 12, 35 and following. The light is among you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So John has made a lot of use of this, this idea of God being light. And of Jesus being the light of the world, He's captured what Jesus has taught about this a little further down in John 12 verse 46 and following Jesus says I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness if anyone hears my words and does not keep him keep them I do not judge them I do not judge the world but I came to save the world The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, the words that I have spoken to him. And so here again, a contrast between light and darkness. Those who know God, those who follow God, those who follow the Messiah, the Christ, can no longer walk in darkness, they will walk in the light. We can say, as the psalmist does in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? He is the light of his people. And that light, as they have been saying, is set in opposition to darkness. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and following, we have really the definition of Jesus' ministry of light from Jesus' own words. He said, for God so loved the world, and the world here we understand to mean not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also, as we read that the, the Gentiles have seen this light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, meaning Christ, has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. So part of Jesus' ministry as being the light is exposing the sin of the world. But he does that not to condemn them but to call them to repentance. Verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, the believer comes into the light so that it may be seen by God and by men that he is a believer and he no longer walks in the darkness. Now notice enmity here between light and darkness. Those who walk in darkness love the darkness and hate the light because the light will expose who they are, what they are, and what they have done. And they don't want that. So the question becomes, and this is really the question of the next verse, verse 6, how can they think they have fellowship with the one true living God who dwells in light if they are in the darkness, if they are walking in darkness, if they are continuing in their sin? Uh, God is said to dwell in unapproachable light in 1 Timothy 6. And note the context. We'll start at verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God... It gives life to all things and to Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus. So in other words he's telling us to live a holy life in Christ Jesus which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of Kings, the Lord alone, who alone has immortality, Christ we're talking about who dwells in unapproachable light who no one has ever seen or can see, referring to God, the immortal God himself, the, the Godhead, uh, to whom be honor and eternal dominion. So no, he, he dwells in unapproachable light. Why is the light unapproachable? Well, because darkness and sin, if it comes into the light, will be exposed. And you cannot come into the light and have your wickedness exposed before God. In the garden, they hid from God and put on riches of of leaves to cover their nakedness. You you walk into the light, there's nothing to cover your nakedness, nothing to cover your sin, your corruption, your defileness. And so the light is really unapproachable. And God's light of himself is so perfect and so pure and so glorious That if you still have sin in you, you cannot approach it. So we need to be cleansed of that sin completely before we can come into his presence. These people, though, they don't want their sinful deeds exposed. And so they hate that light and they won't go anywhere near it. Now, another thing to note about darkness is that not only is it evil, but it's fearful to us. How many of us would walk around the streets of L.A. or another big city in the night? I remember when I lived in Boston, and this is 30 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. They had a sting going on in my neighborhood. A police officer would pretend to be drunk and stagger around. And when he was attacked, another bunch of police officers would run out and rescue him and arrest the people. And every time they did that, they got lots of people because it was a very dangerous area near my university. We had two students in my class who didn't finish because of being attacked. One of them got hit in the face with a golf club in the night. And the other one, somebody was walking past him on the sidewalk and stabbed him in the gut. Both of them got their wallet stolen. Uh, the, the night is darkness. The night is full of evil. The night is when the wicked come out to play and to do wicked deeds, because they cannot be seen, because there is no light. Jesus actually mentions this when he's arrested, you remember? In Luke 22:52 and following, he says to the high priest and the officers of the, of the temple, and the elders who had come out to arrest him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour, in the power of darkness. They had evil to do, they could not do it in front of the people in the temple when Jesus was right there. They had to sneak up on him and catch him in the night. Because their deeds were evil and darkness is what covers the evil deeds. When we think about darkness in the context of first John, that is what we need to think about corruption and sin and evil. And ignorance They did not know God, even though he was in front of them. They did not know their own Messiah. So we also see, though, that this light of God is perfect light. He says in him there's absolutely no darkness. James says there's no variation of shadow due to change in God. In other words, it is a perfect light with no places of shadow, No place where the light is diminished. No place where it can be weakened. In God, that light is flawless. Nothing can be hidden. Everything is seen. Have you ever gone to find something and it was there, but it was in the shadow of another object and you didn't notice it? Well, that doesn't happen to God. God's light is able to light everything. In Daniel chapter 20 and following, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who understand, have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells in him. Because God is light, nothing is hidden from his eyes. And so what is this light? We have been considering it, but let us now turn to it in more detail. Light is sometimes used for knowledge and understanding against ignorance. Uh, where I grew up in Massachusetts, there was a famous cliff on the beach. Marble head, they called it. It wasn't really a cliff, but it was a big projection. And the sun would dawn there first. And it became a saying. Light dawns on marble head, meaning somebody who's dense finally understood something. Uh, we use light to mean knowledge at times. And John has that idea. We see that in verse 3 that we looked at last week. You know, He's proclaiming the things that he has heard and seen so that we might have knowledge. We might have understanding of who God is. We might have proper doctrine and be able to fellowship with God and with them and that knowledge that understanding is considered light true doctrine is light darkness is ignorance and darkness is error in this and it's our key to fellowship with him men live not just in the darkness of sin but the darkness of un- error and unbelief and that's an important thing peter or yeah, <coughs> paul in second corinthians 4 says of his message, verse 5 and 6, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as the servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the message of the gospel is a message of the light of knowledge. We need to know God. We need to understand what he desires of us And we need to understand what is required of us to receive forgiveness of sins. Now, there were many in John's day who struggled with this idea. And because they were tainted by the Greek and Roman philosophers of that era. And Gnosticism, which was really in its prototypical stage, it wasn't fully developed yet. But Gnosticism held this idea of secret knowledge. Where you, you know, there's the, the masses have some understanding, but you have some secret key and no more. Uh, a key example of this would be the Gospel of Judas. It was written in the second century. But in the Gospel of Judas, Judas is the only one who has the full knowledge of what's going on. And Jesus has told him that. And his, Jesus, Judas was not betraying Jesus, but doing what Jesus ordered him to do. And so Judas is the great hero of the Bible, according to this Gnostic sect. But the principle is one that you find in their religion and throughout that era of the masses are missing the key piece and we have the secret knowledge. And that was a problem that John is writing against here when he's talking about the light and knowledge. And the problem Jude also was addressing, remember Jude appeals for them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. There wasn't a secret key missing. We have it all, once for all delivered to us. There's nothing more to be added. We don't need to listen to these false teachers and their secret ideas. And so this light of knowledge shines on us and we have that knowledge. We don't need the extra secret thing that only a small sect knows because that's just going to lead us into false thinking. Of course, men throughout history have always believed that somehow their intellect was superior to lesser people's and they, they alone had some great theological truth that they could understand that nobody else has understood before. Nobody has come to know before. It uh, became more popular again in the Enlightenment period as people started to think, oh, but we've understood it now because we're enlightened. and Nobody understood before and thus there were many new ideas being raised. But John, in his gospel, he says the reason why he wrote these things in John chapter 20, his purpose in writing the gospel, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and though by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Now, there wasn't anything missing. He has written everything you need to know to believe to be saved. And in 1 John chapter 5, He's finishing up the book. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, 5.13, that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, he's written everything they need to know and he's writing it, he's writing them a letter to help them know for certain uh, the gospel and the scriptures are meant by God to be understood. We need understanding to understand them beyond what many men have, but we need the spirit of God and the light of God to help us see. But all the truths we need to know are clearly written in there. And there's not really any reason for struggle unless we're listening to people who are speaking and teaching against it. And so we have the light of knowledge being t- being brought out here. Walk in the light and knowledge. And this knowledge, this truth of light, Uh, This knowledge of God and this light of God is really the light of truth. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In 17.7 he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And his word is described in the Old Testament, particularly in Proverbs and Psalms, as light. Uh, Your commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. Proverbs 6.23, Psalm 19, which is all about the Bible. Verse 103 and following. How sweet are your words to taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path walk in the light, we walk in his word in knowledge of God, knowledge we gain through his word. And again, a little further in Psalm 9, 119, verse 129 and following. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. In other words, the studying of the word to unfold it, to make its meaning clear and known, is what gives us light. The light of God, the light to walk. We have, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21, we have the prophetic word, the scriptures, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. In other words, the scriptures are a lamp lighting a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This light of God is put into the scriptures through inspiration and studying the light and following the light of scripture is what walking in the light is starting to be. It's the beginning of it. The truth of the word leads to life. Psalm 119, 144, your testimonies are righteous for of forever. Give me understanding that I may live. And so the light of knowledge is needed for eternal life. But the light of knowledge is not just about ideas. It's not about memorizing a list of things. It's about a transformed heart and a transformed light. Light is also used for purity, for holiness, and darkness for sin and for corruption. And that's clear here in verse 6. He's really connecting the darkness to sin. Right? If if we say we have fellowship with Him, when we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We're liars to begin with if we're in the darkness and saying that it's okay. But there's that connection Between light, good and evil. Isaiah 5.20 brings this out clearly. He says woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words light is good and sweet and darkness is bitter and evil. And so darkness is representative of the evil of the corruption of the sin. But God is perfect in his holiness. Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 3, the, the seraphim are speaking. And they call to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holiness, perfect holiness, is definition of who God is. And of what God desires from us. Remember 1 Peter 1, 14 and following. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, Now, referring to sin, he calls them the passions of ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call upon a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so if we are walking in the light, we must walk in holiness. We have been taken out of darkness and put into the light. Paul says in Colossians one thirteen and following, if, we deliver, if he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we were in the domain of darkness, the domain of the devil, the domain of evil and corruption and sin. And now we're in the kingdom of Christ. And so we see that there is Two parts to this light of God. The light of understanding and knowledge and the light of purity and holiness. And they are connected together when we say God is light. And this is important because of what happens in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. You know, I remember somebody talking one day and said, if you had a choice of pastors, who would you want to be your pastor? John or Paul? Almost everybody would choose John. But here he says, if you know, if you're going to live in sin and continue in your sin, you're a liar. He goes on to say, and the truth isn't in you. And he goes on to say, basically, you don't know God. You have no part with God. You're unsaved. You're reprobate, even, he goes on to say. You're an antichrist, he goes on to say. John is pretty firm in this, but for a reason. It's important. God is light. He is perfect light. He is pure. He is unapproachable. His light cannot be stained by the darkness of sin. And therefore, he has no fellowship with darkness. Yet if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie. This is a common misconception held by people who want to fellowship with God on their own terms. They sing to him, oh, just as I am, God will accept me, and I don't have to change. I can live in my sin as I am today. I've said the sinner's prayer. I've called upon God. He must forgive me. I have fellowship with him while I live my life of corruption and depravity. No, John says, you are a liar. God is light. He has no fellowship with darkness. Paul tells us to put off that old self belonging to our former manner of life as it is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's Ephesians 4.22 and following. We are to put off that old life and put on the new life if we are to walk with God. It should be an incongruous claim in any Christian's mind to think that God as pure light and pureness and holiness will fellowship with us while we are living in darkness and sin. We must first get away from the darkness and sin. We must first be transformed by the power of his Son, by the power of his blood. We read this often abused passage last week, and I want to touch on it again briefly. 2 Corinthians 6:14 and following. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers... For what has righteousness, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? The answer is none at all. And yet we want to go on and we want to say, oh, I can continue in my sin and live with God and be a Christian. I want to be ignorant of who God is and I want him to have fellowship with me anyway. Because I want the benefits of the fellowship without the obligations of God. What fellowship can there be between God who is light and dwells in unapproachable light those who hate the light and dwell in darkness? Remember the John 3.16 passage. If anyone claims he is a believer and yet walks in darkness and sin against God and gross ignorance of God, then he is, and says that he is a believer, then he is a liar. He obviously is not a believer and he should know that. How can the, darkness of fellowship with the light. That is John's point in this passage. We must walk in the light. How do they come to this conclusion? Ultimately, as I've said, they have a very inadequate, a woefully inadequate view of sin and the sinfulness of sin. The wages of sin, we're told, is death, Romans 6, 23. Note that it is not the wages of serious sin. It is not the wages of gross sin that is death. It is not the wages of some sin, but it is the wages of sin. Men shouldn't suppose that just because they're not as bad as that publican, thank God I'm not like the homosexual, I thank God I'm not like the abortionist, I'm good. And they think, oh, you know, a little lie now and then is okay that we have white lies. They think, oh, I can be angry, even though it's a sin. It's a minor sin. It's not like homosexuality or abortion. And I can be disingenuous. I can gossip. Those are minor sins. And I can still walk with God in them. But the wages of sin is death, and God lives in unapproachable light. And that darkness in our heart that we welcome, that we allow, breaks that fellowship with God. Now, the Gnostics of that day also had a a dualism between the flesh and the spirit. And in the minds of many of them, and this develops much later in time, but the the beginnings of it are around in the biblical times, in, in the time John was writing. They had this belief that the body was like an envelope around the spirit and that the spirit was perfect and incorruptible and the flesh was insignificant. It goes back to Platoism and neo which separated spirit and matter, matter being you know, lower and unimportant and the spirit being important. And so some of them had this teaching that nothing done by the flesh contaminated their spirit. Of course, they have things backwards. What does Jesus say, John or Luke 6:45? The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, the deeds that he does come from the corruption of the heart, and they're 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 defining who he is by what he does. If he does sinful things, then his heart is sinful. And these people have it backwards, saying, "Oh, you can do the sinful things, and it doesn't affect your your spirit, it doesn't taint your soul." Wrong. You're a liar, Paul John says. A very serious matter. Others were teaching that you could become spiritual as a person, and once you became a spiritual person, you'd pass beyond the possibility of any defilement reaching your soul from your sin also very ignorant position. God doesn't say he judges the soul apart from the sins of the body. Uh, Paul in Second Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it is good or evil. You know, there is no separation between our body and soul that our soul is innocent when our body sins. That's a lie, according to John. And a dangerous life. Of course, many people today, just they, they pass over all that old philosophy that you can see hints of in the Bible. And they just reject the sinfulness of sin. Just as I am. I can do what I want. A very sad position for people to be in. They think because they've said the sinner's prayer, they have bound God. He has no choice but to do what they want. And they save him. Even if they are walking in sin. God has no choice but to let them walk in sin and save them. And they reject this whole idea of sin and corruption. Just fellowshipping us from God. But that was what was going on in the days of Noah. Remember Genesis 6, 5. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now. People today will say, well, that was then. You know, we have Christ and Christ has taken that away. Well, Romans 3.23 says what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, you believe that, but we believe. Liar, is what John says. Liar. There's no fellowship between light and darkness. If you walk in sins and you are sinful, you are corrupt. If you walk in those sins, you have no fellowship with God. The apostle of love is telling them they don't understand sin and they lie. They do not practice the truth. Now practice here is not taking a bucket of balls and going down and practicing your golf swing. Practice here is your habitual actions, your your lifestyle. And you do not live in the truth. You do not practice the truth. You're not a truthful person if you think, if you say, if you try to believe that you can have fellowship with God while you walk in sin. There is a solution though. In his condemnations here, John also gives us the solution. And the solution is walk in the light. Come into the light. If We walk in the light as he is light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from our sin. We walk with him in the light, the light of truth, the light of knowledge. Paul in Ephesians 5, 6 and following says, Do not let anyone deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good And right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do you do that? Well, you know what he wants. How do you know what he wants? You look in your heart. Whatever you want is what God No, You look in the word because your heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. You look to the light of the word of God. As we have seen. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead expose them. Christians become light in the world because they are in the light of God. And they do the same thing that Christ did. It is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, or we could say in darkness. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And so we are to walk as children of light, children of God, as believers. And then we have fellowship with God. Turn away from the darkness, hate the darkness, despise that darkness that was in us despise the darkness that remains in us repent of it and turn from it he gets to that more in the later verses which we'll consider Lord willing when I return he says but if we walk in the light our sins are exposed they're repented of they're turned from and we can have fellowship with each other and fellowship with God and that goes back to verses 1 through 4 it starts with our knowledge our understanding our understanding there's that necessity of being saved. We cannot walk with God if we have not been transformed by God. And we've been warned not to be yoked with the unbelievers, not to make have partner, partnerships with lawlessness, not to have fellowship with darkness. We've already read that verse. We are... God's people, God's children, God's temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to be in the light. We need to have that that faith that makes us precious to God and precious to each other. Without which, there is no fellowship with God. And he says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I always love to read David Psalm 51 says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. God has done more for us than simply forgiven sin. God has removed the stain, the blemish, the darkness of sin from us. He has washed us whiter than snow. John says in his first chapter of his gospel, The true light which gives light to everyone is coming into the world. That light exposes sin John chapter 1 verse 9 and following. He was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of blood, meaning inheritance, blood, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but from God. We need to walk in the light and we need to know God and know what pleases him so that we may walk with him. We need to walk in holiness because that is what pleases him. Walk turning away from our sin, being repentant of our sin. If we think I can be a Christian and I can live in this sin. And John says we are a liar. God walks in all glorious light, and if we want to have some darkness in our life where we, he can't see, well, we're a fool, he sees it all, and we're a liar to think we're walking with him. We're not, we're walking away from him. And that is the message here, which really should touch our hearts and have us thinking about our own walk in our own life. You know, you'll notice in this passage, John uses we in us both for both sides. You know, if we who are thinking we're doing well are doing that sin, maybe we're not doing well. So let us turn from our sins and walk in the light. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for John, the apostle of love, who teaches us what love truly is. And it calls you light and tells us to walk in that light with you. We pray that in your love you will forgive us our sins. Teach us, Lord, to repent of them, turn from them, to try to be more obedient in the future and more diligent in turning from them. And we ask, Lord, keep us in the light that we might see ourselves truly and might walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.